Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is sponsored by italki, which is basically the perfect solution if you want to speak to people in English, if you want to get like proper English lessons uh, from professional teachers who will help, the, they'll work with you and construct a course of English lessons that are specifically targeted on your needs. Or you can just find native speakers there who are just happy to talk to you, maybe give you a bit of language feedback or general help with your English. You can have English lessons, conversations. There are also, there's a big community of language learners, all of whom are learning different languages there, and you can get in touch with them and set up language exchanges and stuff. So much stuff there for you to use, and it's so convenient because it's all done through Skype. You can have your English lessons uh, in your own home, in the kitchen, living room, wherever you want. It's really, really convenient. So why not uh, join up with italki and get yourself some lessons, some talking time? It could be very beneficial for your English because we know, don't we, that it's vital. You've got to speak. You've got to speak, speak, speak. You've got to practice, practice, practice if you really want genuine fluency in any language, you've actually got to do it because, you know, lang- you know, English, it's not something you know. I mean, it is something you know. Obviously, you've got to know words, you've got to know grammar, you've got to know all this stuff. But really, uh, English is something that you can do. You have to be able to do it, not just know it. So it's no good knowing the rules of grammar, but being able to apply them fluently, being able to communicate messages uh, being able to build relationships is absolutely vital. So practice, practice, practice. Use italki. It just makes total sense. It's a very professional um, service. You'll see that it's really good. It's a very well-established service now. They've been going for a number of years, as you know, because I've talked about them enough times on this podcast. Sign up with italki, teacherluke.co.uk slash talk. When you buy some talking time, italki will send you a free lesson, a voucher for a free lesson. teacherluke.co.uk slash talk, or click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, folks. Welcome to the podcast. This episode is called Death by Meteor, and it's all about asteroids, space, science, maths, astrophysics, and the end of the world. So I'm talking about asteroids and meteors and the possibility that one might strike the Earth and what would happen in that situation, or perhaps what will happen in that situation, because it's highly likely sooner or later, hopefully later. There will be lots of English, of course. Watch out for vocab on all those topics coming up in this episode, which I will be clarifying for you as we go, because I'm nice like that. Uh, In fact, first of all, here is a bit of vocabulary straight off the bat. Uh, What is the difference between an asteroid and a meteor, a comet and a shooting star? What are the differences between those things? Well, according to Oxford Dictionary, OxfordDictionaries.com, an asteroid is a small rocky body orbiting the sun. A rocky body. That a body, in this case, doesn't mean like a person's body made of rock. 
not like a guy out there, just a fossilized man ah, flying through space. No, that's not what this means. In this case, a body is just like a, 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 a thing, like a lump of rock. It's not a planet, smaller than a planet, but there it is, a small, rocky body orbiting the sun. They say small, it's, you know, could be huge, could be numerous kilometers in, in diameter. Some of them, I don't know how, how big the largest asteroids are, but potentially, I guess, as large as the moon, maybe, some of them. I guess there is some debate about, about Pluto, right? Pluto, which sometimes we say is the, is the ninth planet in our solar system, and then some people go, no, it's not really a planet. And pe- other people are like, well, what is it then? It's just a small lump of rock. And they say, well, how small? So, I don't know, about the size of the moon? It's not that small. That's pretty big. Anyway, an, a- an asteroid is a lump of rock orbiting the sun. And there are large numbers of these um, ranging enormously in size, I suppose from as uh, small as just under a kilometre in diameter to a number of kilometres in diameter. Uh, large numbers of these rocky bodies are found between the orbits of Mars and Jupiter. In fact, I think we have a... Um, uh, there's an asteroid field between Mars and Jupiter. Most of them seem to be there, although some have more eccentric orbits. Eccentric orbits. Eccentric? Like what? They sort of wear weird clothes. They listen to sort of unconventional music. No, they just orbit in a slightly different pattern to the rest of them. Okay, so that's an asteroid. And then a meteor is a small body of matter from outer space that enters the Earth's atmosphere becoming incandescent as a result of friction and appearing as a streak of light. So a small body of matter, they don't say rock because some, often these meteors are actually made of metal, but they come from outer space, they enter the Earth's atmosphere. That's the, the main thing, I think, that, it, that they're in the Earth's atmosphere. So an asteroid, if an asteroid comes within the Earth's atmosphere and it starts to burn, then we call it a meteor. And typically, most of the time, they will burn up in the atmosphere. They'll just appear as a streak of light, an incandescent streak of light, which is rather beautiful. And that's the same thing as a shooting star, basically. Shooting star is the same thing as a, as a meteor, but in common parlance, you might call them a shooting star. So if you're um, watching the night sky and you see like a streak of light across the sky, we generally call that a shooting star whereas in fact it's a meteor. A meteorite, you might have heard that as well, a meteorite is a piece of rock or metal that has fallen to the Earth's surface from out of space as a meteor. So once a meteor actually lands, it's called a meteorite. Um, Over 90% of meteorites are of rock, while the remainder consist wholly or partly of iron and nickel. So most of them are made of rock, the others are usually iron or nickel. I saw a meteor once, and I don't mean a shooting star, I actually saw um, a ball of fire um, flying through the sky. Yep, really, I was with a friend of mine, we must have been about 16 at the time, standing round the back of uh, my parents' house. We were smoking a cigarette secretly, smoking a cigarette around the back of the house, standing on the patio, looking out across the fields. And both of us saw in the distance, this thing dropped down beneath the cloud. There was a bit of cloud cover and it dropped down below the cloud and it was orange ball of fire with a trail of smoke 
uh, behind it. This was in the distance. It must have been, I, I don't know, a mile or two away from us. And um, so, yeah, we saw this thing dropping beneath the cloud, a ball of orange fire with a trail of smoke behind it. And as it, um, as it descended, uh, the fire went out and it was just a ball of smoke with a trail of smoke behind it. Never heard anything about it. We were checking the newspapers and stuff the following days. We saw nothing about it in the news, but we both saw it. So it wasn't just like a hallucination or something we imagined, but that was pretty amazing. So that's an asteroid, a meteor, a shooting star, a meteorite. And then a comet is a celestial object. So basically an object in space consisting of a nucleus of ice and dust. And when near the sun, a tail of gas and dust particles uh, pointing away from the sun. So, a celestial object consisting of a nucleus of ice and dust. So, basically, it's a big lump of ice and dust, I suppose. And sometimes we we see uh, dust particles flowing away from them um, as we watch them. Uh, These things originate in the remotest regions of the solar system. And most comets follow regular uh, eccentric orbits and appear in the inner solar system as periodic comets, some of which break up and can be the origin of annual meteor showers. Uh, They were formerly considered to be supernatural omens. So the comets are pretty extraordinary things. They just sort of fly in very broad and eccentric orbits around the, around the, I guess, the solar system. And every now and then, something like, you know, in some cases, every 70 years or something, they're visible. They, they fly fairly close to the Earth and they sort of drop a shower of meteors as they go. Um, Halley's Comet is a, a famous one. Um, which is visible from the UK periodically. And yes, when, um, what was it? When the Normans, so this was a sort of um, a tribe of people um, from the north of France, when the Normans invaded England in 1066, so this is a famous invasion of England by the, by the French, well, by the Normans, and they actually um, conquered uh, the English army, and we had after that a Norman or French royal family for several hundred years. Anyway, this was a momentous occasion, obviously. And when the Normans invaded, um, apparently Halley's Comet was visible in the sky. And this was considered to be a great omen and considered to be a, a, a signal of, of good fortune for the Normans. And in fact, there's a, a tapestry, a beautiful tapestry, which you can visit and see in Bayeux in Normandy, this amazing tapestry which tells the entire story of the Battle of Hastings in England. The the tapestry tells the entire story, including all the run-up to it and the the gruesome scenes of battle with people getting their heads and arms and legs chopped off and stuff. And uh, at one in one part of the tapestry that you can see Halley's Comet and you can see people pointing at it. So anyway... There you go. An asteroid, a meteor, a shooting star, a meteorite, and a comet. So, so then, there's a lot of talk uh, at the moment, as ever, about what's going on here on Earth, uh, relating to the political situation. There's lots of squabbles, lots of disagreements going on between people, all sorts of stuff going on. It looks like, with various things going on, that we're facing a pretty troubled time. And maybe we're going to spoil everything for ourselves 
by maybe blowing each other to smithereens, meaning blowing each other to pieces, or crashing the economy, or just ruining the lives of most ordinary people to the point that the world becomes some sort of post-apocalyptic wasteland where the super-rich 0.1% live in protected biodomes in space or something, while the rest of us sort of fight it out in some kind of post-nuclear apocalyptic wasteland. It's it's like Terminator, the Terminator or something. And in fact, it is like Arnold Schwarzenegger says in Terminator 2. He says, what is it? You're humans. It is within your nature to destroy yourselves. Yeah, that was kind of a Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. Although, to be honest, it sounds a little bit more like the documentary filmmaker Werner Herzog, who might make a documentary about the possibility of the human race being wiped out by a, a celestial body coming into violent contact with the Earth. Um, it is within your nature to destroy yourselves. Uh, what happened to my Arnold Schwarzenegger impression? It became Werner Herzog. This is that scene. This is that scene from Terminator 2 where John Connor, as a child, uh, observes some children fighting with each other, and he turns to the Terminator and he says, "We're not going to make it, are we, humans? You know, we're not going to survive." And Arnie says, "It is within your nature to destroy. It is within your nature to destroy yourselves." This is the Terminator as played by Werner Herzog, the the German filmmaker. Werner Herzog's brilliant, by the way. Anyway, Terminator Two. Directed by James Cameron. We're not going to make it, are we? People, I mean. Here we go. It's in your nature to destroy yourselves. It's in your nature to destroy yourselves. Now, um, so maybe we will destroy ourselves, but perhaps before we manage to do that, we might, in fact, go the way of the dinosaurs and end up being wiped out by environmental factors. And this includes the very real threat of climate change and how that can affect the careful balance of life on Earth, or by some geological event like the eruption of a supervolcano, which would send all sorts of horrible gas and dust and ash into the atmosphere, or even a threat from space. And I'm not talking about aliens here. I'm talking about the possibility of the Earth being struck by a big meteor. And it really could happen within our lifetime. That's something to look forward to, isn't it? Now, this is a very real threat to us, and it makes our petty disputes on Earth seem pretty pointless and trivial, doesn't it? Fairly large asteroids hit the Earth on quite a regular basis. The latest one I can remember hearing about was in Russia on the 15th of February 2013. Do you remember that? That was when an unknown object exploded high in the sky above Chelyabinsk with 20 to 30 times the energy of the Hiroshima atomic bomb. So this thing exploded in the air above Chelyabinsk. It was like 20 or 30 times the power of the Hiroshima atomic bomb. Wow. Apparently it flew through the sky at 20 miles per second. Wow. I mean, that's unbelievable. The light from the meteor was brighter than the sun 
and it was visible up to 100 kilometres away. It was observed over a wide area of the region and in neighbouring republics, and some eyewitnesses also felt intense heat from the fireball. That's the last one that I can remember. Um, Some of you listening to this might even have direct experience of that. If you did experience that uh, fireball, please let us know in the comments section. I'd love to read about your experiences. The danger from things like a collision with an asteroid is very real, although it might be possible to do something about it and protect ourselves if we manage to work together. Now, the following text that I'm going to read is from the Pan Stars website. This is a site dedicated to observing the sky for large objects that could collide with Earth. This is obviously a very important project. So this is on the Pan Stars website. It says, Since it formed over 4.5 billion years ago, Earth has been hit many times by asteroids and comets, whose orbits bring them into the inner solar system. These objects, collectively known as near-Earth objects, or NEOs, still pose a danger to Earth today. Depending on the size of the impacting object, such a collision can cause massive damage on local to global scales. There's no doubt that sometime in the future, Earth will suffer another cosmic impact. The only question is when. There is strong scientific evidence that cosmic collisions have played a major role in the mass extinctions documented in Earth's fossil record. Fossils are basically sort of um, what used to be like creatures which have been sort of turned into rock. Um, Bodies of uh, ancient uh, animals uh, get compressed into the rock and essentially they become petrified. They turn to rock. And these things, as you break open open rocks, you can find, you know, fossils in there. And we can study these fossils and understand about, uh, we can understand, like, you know, life on Earth uh, billions of years ago. Um, so that such cosmic collisions can still occur today was demonstrated graphically in 1994 when comet Shoemaker-Levy 9 broke apart and 21 fragments some as large as two kilometres in diameter, crashed into the atmosphere of Jupiter. If these fragments had hit Earth instead, we would have suffered global catastrophes of the kind that inspire science fiction movies. So the general threat of asteroids, I did a bit of googling on the subject. I came up with a few things that are worth sharing, which have some nice bits of language in them. This is a headline from the Daily Mail. I don't normally like to read the Daily Mail, and we're not going to do the whole article, but the headline and the the little summary underneath are quite um, interesting. So it says this, um, uh, there's an asteroid with our name on it. Um, Brian Cox warns a space rock could wipe out humanity if robots don't get there first. If you say that something has your name on it, it means that it's going to kill you. Like there's a bullet with my name on it, or there's a... Um, uh, an asteroid with our name on it. Uh, well, does it mean it's going to kill you? It basically means it's it's destined for you. It's going to reach you one day. For example, you could say there's a there's a pint of beer with my name on it. That means that I'm you know eventually I'm going to get this pint of beer. Or there's a, an asteroid with our name on it. That means the asteroid is destined to to hit us. Uh, so there's an asteroid with our name on it. Professor Brian Cox is one of Europe's leading scientists. And he's also a bit of a a celebrity in the UK. He appears on 
television shows. He's also part of a podcast, a really good science podcast called The Infinite Monkey Cage, which I've talked about on this podcast before. I recommend you listen to it. If you're into science and stuff and you're looking for a good science podcast, you should check out The Infinite Monkey Cage. Uh, It's a British podcast featuring Professor Brian Cox and a comedian called Robin Ince. So, um, Professor Cox says we recently had a near miss with a large asteroid. No one knows when the next one could be. It could be tomorrow, says Cox. Engineers are working to mitigate the threat, but progress has been slow. As well as asteroids, threats to humanity include AI, artificial intelligence, and climate change. But it's human stupidity that we need to worry about, claims Professor Cox. He says threats can be prevented through research and education. So then, asteroids and the asteroid threat to Earth. There are tens of thousands of objects in space that have an orbit around the Sun, and their orbits cross the orbit of Earth. Apparently, it's only a matter of time until there's a collision. One of these objects, a large asteroid, could collide with the Earth at a massive speed. It would cause huge earthquakes and tidal waves. It would also throw massive amounts of dust, gas, molten rock and ash very high into the atmosphere, uh, enough to envelop the entire world in burning hot ash and lava, not to mention various noxious natural gases and possibly dangerous chemicals from the asteroid itself. The burning ash and lava would probably destroy a lot of life on the surface, like a huge explosion, but also the resulting ash and dust would probably fill the sky above Earth, blocking out the rays of the sun and basically turning the whole planet into a nuclear winter wasteland. Lovely. Um, As far as I know, this is pretty much what happened to the dinosaurs when an asteroid hit the Earth near the Gulf of Mexico a very long time ago. Apparently there may also have been volcanic eruptions at around the same time, well, about 250,000 years before the asteroid. So uh, those volcanic uh, uh, eruptions uh, had already filled the atmosphere with ash and gas, making life pretty difficult already. So imagine that. So even like 250,000 years before the meteor struck, or meteors, I think it may be two, uh, 250,000 years before there were lots of volcanic eruptions which kind of made uh, the atmosphere very polluted and difficult to live in. Life must have been tough. And then as if that wasn't enough, uh, after you know, as if the, the uh, volcanic eruptions weren't enough, a huge space rock or two smacked into the earth and then that was that eventually. The majority of life on the planet was wiped out. Not all of it, of course, but the majority of it. When we talk about the dinosaurs, we always seem to talk about them as if they were a failed species or a failed um, sort of set of species. But I think the dinosaurs lived on Earth way longer than we've lived on Earth. The dinosaurs were a lot more successful than us, which kind of puts it in perspective, really. So we could easily get get wiped out by meteors, although I think we're clever enough to probably somehow deal with the threat or mitigate it in in some way. Now, uh, we know about all of this. We know about what happened to the dinosaurs because the evidence is written into the earth itself. All you need to do is explore the carbon records and you can actually see the layers of different types of matter, sort of different types of earth or dust or whatever. You can actually see the layers of it which correspond to the different events occurring. So you can see here's like a, a layer of ash. This, you know, was the result of, you know, whatever, some kind of eruption or um, an asteroid or something. Uh, even We can even see the remains of living things. 
We can see the ash, we can see the lava rock, and so on. So the whole story is told in the layers, in the ground. It's all there. Now then, we're going to do a bit of listening. Well, obviously you're already doing some listening, but we're going to listen to a recording of uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. He's one of the world's most famous astrophysicists. And uh, we're going to listen to a clip from YouTube. And this is Neil deGrasse Tyson talking about the real possibility of us being struck by an asteroid, uh, an asteroid that scientists have been watching very carefully. So yes, deGrasse Tyson is one of the world's most famous astrophysicists. He's the director of the Hayden Planetarium in New York, and he's generally a very media-friendly science guy who's very entertaining on all manner of scientific subjects, especially space. So let's listen to deGrasse Tyson's predictions about a, a particular asteroid, And I'm going to give you some questions beforehand. So five questions before we listen to uh, deGrasse Tyson talking about an asteroid called Apophis. So first question is, why is the asteroid called Apophis? Why is it called Apophis? Secondly, how do we know where Apophis is going to go? How do we, how how are we able to predict uh, where it's going? Third question is, what's going to happen in 2029? Fourth question, what are the conditions for the asteroid hitting the Earth the next time it arrives? So basically, what are the conditions uh, for this asteroid hitting the Earth? It might hit the Earth, but only in certain conditions. What are those conditions? And fifth, if it does hit the Earth, what exactly will happen? Well, it will interrupt lunch. I can tell you that much. But anyway, specifically what will happen if it hits the Earth. You can actually find a script for this video uh, on the page for this episode. Uh, But for now, let's just listen and see if you can answer those questions or generally just understand what he's talking about. By the way, there's a couple of moments in this video where he talks about something that we can't see, um, referring to a couple of things we can't see and a couple of interactions with the audience that we can't hear. But it doesn't really matter. Okay, here we go. TV. The world is thinking. There is an asteroid discovered in December 2004 called Apophis, named for the Egyptian god of death and darkness. (laughs) It was named only after its trajectory was identified to intersect that of Earth. Had that not been the case, we would not have named it Apophis. could name it like Tiffany or something, or Bambi. You know, something not threatening. This one was headed towards Earth, Apophis. All right. Once you discover an asteroid, you got to wait a little while to get enough of a segment of its orbit to calculate what the full orbit will be to know if it will come in harm's way. So... We did that. We, the community. I wasn't the one. We got peeps who do this. Okay? So, peeps, if you're over 30, means people. Okay? (laughs) Forgive me. If I say you got peeps, it's people. It's actually a loving phrase, right? It's not little yellow marshmallow. They're not? No. Right. So, we get the orbit. Turns out... In the year 2029, the month of April, the 13th of April, 
a Friday. <laughs> Apophis will come so close to Earth that it will dip below our orbiting communication satellites. And it is the size of the Rose Bowl. It'll be the largest, closest thing we have ever observed to come by Earth. Now, of course, a much bigger asteroid took out the dinosaurs, but we weren't around at the time. So this is in, in the era of observing the cosmos with technology. This will be the closest, biggest thing we'll ever see come by. Now, the orbit we now have for it is uncertain enough because these things are hard to measure and hard to get an exact distance for. The orbit is uncertain enough so we cannot tell you exactly where that trajectory will be. We know it won't hit Earth. We know it'll be closer than the orbiting satellites. There is a range, a 600-mile zone. We call it the keyhole. If the asteroid goes through the middle of that keyhole, it will hit the Earth 13 years later. It will hit the Earth. 500 miles, sorry, 500 kilometers due west of Santa Monica. So it doesn't matter where it goes through that keyhole. Now, that's if it goes through the center. If it goes through other places within that keyhole, then the contact point shifts further into the Pacific or closer towards Las North Vegas America. Or something. Yeah, right. Yes. Okay? But if it goes through the center, it hits the Pacific Ocean, plunges down into the Pacific to a depth of three miles, at which point it explodes, cavitating the Pacific in a hole that's three miles wide three miles deep. That will send a tsunami wave outward from that location. That's 50 feet high, five stories. Oceans don't like having holes in them. <laughs> so, this three mile high wall does what? You say that so timidly, sir. Uh, <laughs> collapses. It's a three-mile-high wall of water. Thank you. Falls back into the hole, sloshing against itself with such ferocity that it rises high into the atmosphere and falls back down to the ocean, cavitating the ocean again. So now you make a cavity a second time. This cycle takes about 50 seconds. You can calculate it, okay? So here comes the first tsunami, and 50 seconds later comes another tsunami. So there you are on the beaches of Malibu. <laughs> tsunami comes in. Now, unlike the tsunami in Indonesia, which was one wave that went deep into the shore, this first wave needs a supply of water to exist so that the next wave actually sucks back on it to create itself. So, this tsunami will only go in about a quarter of a mile. <laughs> <laughs> we have the sound effects person in the upper <laughs> row there. So it only goes in a quarter mile before it gets sucked back out for the next wave to come. Here's the problem. 
whatever was there on the coastline is now brought back out to sea. And the next tsunami brings it back to the shore. All the million-dollar homes in Malibu, they get taken out to the sea and then back. But this time they're in a slightly different shape, okay? <laughs> and so what happens is all, all, the, all the artificial stuff, all the houses, the factories, they get churned into this ablative force that sandblasts the entire west coast of North America clean. So have a nice day for that. Nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but, but this big school... So. I'm sorry, I said uh, 13 years after 2020, I, uh, I misspoke. Um, it's April 13th, 2029, and if it threads the keel, it will hit Earth April 13th, 2036. So it's a, it's a um, seven-year. Whoa. Okay, then, folks. So did you manage to get the answers to those questions? Did you, did you even remember the questions? You probably didn't, did you? Don't worry. I don't blame you if you didn't remember the questions. The first question was, why is the asteroid called Apophis? Well, this, uh, it's named after, or he said named for, I would say it was named after, the Egyptian god of death and darkness. And they chose this name after they, they worked out the trajectory of the asteroid and they learned that the asteroid would intersect or the trajectory of the asteroid would intersect with Earth. So trajectory, can you say that? Trajectory. The trajectory of something is basically like the path of something that's flying. Like, let's say if you take a tennis ball and you throw it, um, the, the way that the ball, the path that the ball takes through the air it will probably be curved, I imagine. Um, this is the trajectory of the tennis ball. So it's the, it's the path that the ball uh, f- takes as it flies through the air, as it's subject to different forces like gravity and so on. Okay, So the missile's trajectory, or in this case, the, the asteroid's trajectory, was uh, identified to intersect the orbit of Earth. So when they realized that it could hit Earth, they named it Apophis after the Egyptian god of death and darkness. Uh, He also said, had that not been the case, we would not have named it Apophis, which is quite a nice um, third conditional structure there, isn't it? Had that not been the case, we would not have named it Apophis. Now, normally, we don't start our sentences with had, do we? It would normally be, if that had not been the case, we would not have named it Apophis. But you can also do conditionals, or certainly third conditionals, um, uh, like this as well. Instead of, if it had not been the case, you can say, had that not been the case, we wouldn't have named it Apophis, which is a, you know, a common, normal way of constructing a third conditional, just slightly different from using the traditional if clause. Okay, so had that not been the case, we would not have named it Apophis. Okay, so second question is, how do we know where Apophis is going to go? How can we calculate the trajectory of Apophis? Well, he said, um, once you discover an asteroid, you've got to wait a little while to get enough of a segment of its orbit to calculate what the full orbit will be. So you discover the asteroid first, then you wait and you track it for a while and you can then get a section of it of the orbit and you can use that section to calculate what the rest of the orbit will be and that can tell you basically where it's going to go and if it's going to come in harm's way uh, if something is in harm's way it means it's um in a place that's going to potentially hurt you okay um 
So let's have a little look here. In harm's way, if something's in harm's way, it means they're, they, it's going to create a dangerous situation, basically. Okay? Um, in a dangerous situation. All right? So that's, that's that. That's how we work out where it's going to go. We take a section of its orbit and then use probably different mathematical calculations to work out the entire orbit, which is then uh, going to allow us to work out if, if it's going to be in harm's way. What's going to happen in 2029? Well, in 2029, it turns out that uh, in the month of April, on the 13th of April, in fact, on Friday the 13th of April, Apophis is going to come so close to Earth that it will dip below our orbiting communication satellites. That's how close it's going to be. It's going to fly underneath our satellites. And as he said, it's the size of the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl is a, um, a huge stadium. It's an athletic stadium in Pasadena in California. It holds 90,000 people. It's massive. It's a massive stadium. So this thing is the size of the Rose Bowl, and it's going to dip below our orbiting satellites on Friday the 13th of April 2029. Um, okay. Now, it's as he said, it's going to be the largest, closest thing that we've ever observed to come by Earth. Uh, there was a bigger asteroid that took out the dinosaurs, meaning it, it killed the dinosaurs, but we weren't there at the time. So this is in the era of observing the cosmos with technology. This will be the closest thing that, we've, that we will ever see come by, meaning um, go past us. Okay, so that's what's going to happen in 2029. Um, now, what are the conditions for it hitting the Earth the next time it arrives? Because it's going to come by again um, in, uh, well, a few years afterwards. Uh, it won't hit the Earth in 2029, but it might hit the Earth next time. What are the conditions for that happening? Now, apparently they say the orbit, they've worked out the orbit, but it's not completely certain. So they've got a general um, trajectory and they have a general zone where... Apophis will will fly through. It's a 600-mile zone, I think. 600-mile uh, zone. They call it the keyhole. And basically, if Apophis flies through the keyhole, it will hit the Earth uh, in 2036. He First of all, he said 13 years later. That's not true. It's actually seven. So it would be 2036. So if it flies through the keyhole, it will hit the Earth seven years afterwards in 2036. Okay, if it flies through the center of the keyhole, it will hit um, the Earth somewhere in the Pacific Ocean, uh, like 500 kilometers west of Santa Monica. That's if it goes through the center. If it goes like uh, to one side, it'll be either closer to the, uh, the California coast or further away in the Pacific Ocean. Uh, all right, so with, if it goes through the keyhole, it'll hit the Earth seven years later. Wow. And if it does hit the Earth, what exactly will happen? Well, this is the dramatic stuff, okay? If it does go through the center of the keyhole, it will hit the Pacific Ocean. And he said, it will plunge down into the Pacific. Plunge, this is a word that you've got to know, really, especially if you take the IELTS test. This is one of those IELTS words. This is one of those IELTS writing part one words. Plunge. Plunge means fall dramatically. Uh, but um, it also means fall into water. So if you can imagine, if you jump off a diving board, you would plunge into the water. Okay. In this case, the asteroid is going to plunge, or it might plunge, into the Pacific Ocean. Uh, typically, in IELTS, in that English test that many of you will have to take, if you're describing 
trends, like if you're describing sales figures off a graph or something, and you, you know, you're trying to describe the way that the sales figures have dropped sharply, you can say that they plunged. You know, sales plunged dramatically in 2008, for example. Anyway, if it goes through the center of the keyhole, it'll hit the Pacific Ocean. It'll plunge down to a depth of three miles. It'll go to three miles down, at which point it will explode. Poof, like that. Remember the one that exploded over, over Russia, 20 to 30 um, uh, times the power of the Hiroshima atomic bomb. This thing would explode. I don't know how powerful it would be, but it would be really, really powerful. It would explode in the Pacific, cavitating the Pacific Ocean. Cavitating, it means basically making a huge hole in it. A cavity is a hole. So it would cavitate the Pacific, make a huge hole in it that's three miles wide, three miles deep, uh, that will send a tsunami wave outward from that location that's 50 feet high. That's like a five-story building. And we know all of this stuff because it's possible to calculate it roughly using maths. Maths is incredible. I mean, maths is, we can use maths to calculate all these things, all these trajectories, these orbits, these, these, uh, these uh, measurements, the depth, the size, the height of the tsunami. And as he said, oceans don't like having holes in them. So uh, this three-mile-high wall of water that will be created by the cavity will, will collapse. It'll collapse back into itself. And this is... Um, all the water will fall back into the hole, sloshing against itself. Slosh is a word. It's in a sort of an onomatopoeia, a word that sounds like the thing it's describing. It would slosh against itself, meaning it would kind of hit itself. Water sloshes. You know, if you have a, um, a bucket full of water and you shake the bucket, the, bu- the water sloshes around inside the bucket. In this case, the water would slosh against itself with such ferocity, with such violence and anger uh, that it would um, rise high into the atmosphere. So the water would hit itself and then fly up into the atmosphere and fall back down into the ocean, cavitating the ocean again. An incredibly violent and dramatic event. The asteroid, three miles into the ocean, massive hole, the water, and it explodes sending water all the way up into the atmosphere. The water then comes crashing back down uh, into the ocean, cavitating the ocean again. This creates several massive tsunami waves, okay? The first tsunami um, comes into the uh, west coast of the United States, uh, California. We're talking about the beaches of Malibu, Santa Monica. You think about Baywatch. There's Pamela Anderson, uh, saving people's lives and having big boobs. And there's, what's his face? Um, David Hasselhoff running along the beach, not running into the water to save someone. No, just running along the beach. I don't know why he's doing that. Surely he should be going in the water. Uh, anyway, there they are doing their thing. And then 50, uh, 50, what is it? 50 feet high, 50 meters, 50 feet high wall of water. Goodbye Baywatch, basically. Um, now, the, the first tsunami will come in, but that tsunami, as he said, needs a supply of water to keep it going. But because of what's happened, because the second tsunami is coming, the second tsunami basically pulls the first one in, and then the second one comes crashing in. So what happens is the first tsunami takes out all of the buildings, um, I don't know, what is it, a quarter mile into the coast. So... Um, 
like all those buildings, everything that's there, and there's a lot of stuff there because we're talking about Los Angeles. Uh, that's going to be destroyed by the first tsunami and then pulled into the ocean. And then the second tsunami, the more powerful one, will push it back. But this time it will have been changed shape. It'll be, you know, broken up into this, as he said, it'll be churned into this ablative force. Churned means mixed up, um, like, you know, roughly mixed into an ablative force. Ablative means it will, it'll kind of uh, um, completely... uh, ablative means it'll kind of scrape the surface clear okay like sandpaper which you use to make wood smooth when you're making a table or something use sandpaper sandpaper is an ablative force on the wood well similarly this all this mix of water and earth and sand and rock and buildings and cars and all sorts of other things will be sent back into um the coast and it'll sandblast the entire west coast of north america clean Woo. okay so that's exactly what would happen isn't that scary isn't that frightening so we need to, I, I guess all the, the scientific community will be watching this asteroid very, very carefully to see exactly what's going to happen. Now, some of you who already know about this probably know a thing or two about this asteroid, and you might be kind of going, wait, 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 I know something about this. Well, I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. But um, I talked about Professor Brian Cox. We just heard from um, Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's a very famous American scientist. Professor Brian Cox is our, our British version And Brian Cox speaks in this kind of voice. He's from up north. I'm not sure exactly where he comes from, but he speaks like this. Brian Cox. Um, Where does he come from? He's from, uh, oh, somewhere up north. Uh, I wish I could find out where he's from. Oldham. He's he's from, um, he's from Oldham. Okay. Right. So he's he's got this sort of northern accent like this. And he talks in, in... fascinating detail about all sorts of things about space and stuff like that so uh this video clip is about one minute this is comedian jimmy carr talking to professor brian cox about asteroids and brian talks about apophis so i'd like you to tell me what does brian cox say about apophis and what are the little jokes that you hear (laughs) they're probably the biggest threat actually there's one there's one called apophis which is around at the moment and in 2029 it's going to come past us it's going to go inside the orbit of a lot of the satellites. So a lot of the weather satellites, it's going to come inside those. And it's big enough to wipe out at least the west coast of America. So that's a, and we ran a competition, you know, talking about the president, we ran a competition, this was the response to it, to say, well, how would you move it? You know what the prize was for getting it, for the best design to move it out of the way and prevent destruction on a global scale? Was it like a million dollars? $50,000 was the first prize. Britain won the third prize, $5,000. Three grand. What was the plan? How are we going to get it out of the way? Because when is it going to happen? That, that, that will go past in 2029. It comes 20, past 20, again what, in 2036. What? How old is Bruce Willis going to be? <laughs> he's going to be like in his 70s. I'm not sure he's going to be up for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So, uh, not that much more information, but... Um, Jimmy Carr obviously said, how old is Bruce Willis going to be? Because um, there was that famous movie called Armageddon, which is kind of all about this sort of thing. And what they did in that film is they, they just sent Bruce Willis to the asteroid and he drilled a massive hole in it and just uh, they put an, a nuclear bomb inside it and blew it up. So they just, you know, 
this, it's exactly what you you should do, really. Just send Bruce Willis up there, and he'll just shoot the asteroid. But it's a good point. What what uh, what could we do? What could we do about this? I'm going to look at some possible solutions to this in a moment. But first of all, I said that uh, some of you who know about Apophis might know that, in fact, um, since all of those videos were recorded, those two vid- the, both of those videos were, were recorded, we have learned some more about Apophis. This is from the Wikipedia page for Apophis. It says this, Apophis is a near-Earth asteroid that caused a brief period of concern in December 2004 because initial observations indicated a probability of up to 2.7% that it would hit Earth on April the 13th, 2029. Additional observations provided improved, cal- uh, improved predictions that eliminated the possibility of an impact on Earth or the Moon in 2029. However, until 2006, a possibility remained that during the 2029 close encounter with Earth, Apophis would pass through a gravitational keyhole, a small region no more than about 0.5 miles wide or 0.8 kilometers wide, that would uh, set up a future impact exactly seven years later on the 13th of April 2036. But as of 2014, the diameter of Apophis is estimated to be approximately 370 metres and preliminary observations by uh, Goldstone Radar in January 2013 effectively ruled out the possibility of an Earth impact by Apophis in 2036. So actually, we've been observing it and we've learned that we've, we've started to understand more about its size and um, we've ruled out the possibility of an Earth impact in 2036. If something's ruled out, it means we've basically worked out that it's not going to happen. Uh, by May the 6th, 2013, the probability of an impact on the, the 13th of April had been eliminated. Okay, so we can relax. Using observations through February 29th, uh, 2014, the odds of an impact on uh, April the, the 12th, 2068, as uh, calculated by the JPL Sentry Risk Table, are 1 in 150,000. So that's, you know, a pretty small chance that it will actually hit the Earth uh, in 2068. As of March 2018, there were seven asteroids with a more notable cumulative Palermo technical impact hazard scale than Apophis. On average, one asteroid the size of Apophis, which is 370 metres, it's like a third of a kilometre, can be expected to impact Earth about every 80,000 years. Wow, so about every 80,000 years we get one of these. But um, basically... um, you know, there's not much chance of Apophis hitting us. Uh, it's not going to happen in 2036. It might happen in 2068, but that's a one in 150,000 um, chance of it happening, which is still better than your chances of winning the lottery. Uh, but anyway, so Apophis isn't going to strike the Earth in 2036, thank goodness, but there is a slim chance that it will hit the Earth in 2068. But we'll all be dead by then, won't we? So who cares? Will we? Will we? Will we be dead by then? Actually, we might not be. Um, So anyway, what could we do? Could we call Bruce Willis if uh, another asteroid was bound to hit the Earth? What would we do? Well, um, NASA uh, have obviously been thinking about this. And this is a little article from uh, Indy 100, a 
so the crappy online website uh, website news uh, site a kind of clickbaity news website run by the independent newspaper uh, this is a brief little article about what NASA would do. So this is how NASA would save Earth from an an apocalyptic asteroid. Uh, The plot from the 1998 film Armageddon involves a team of expert oil drillers being sent into space to land on an asteroid on a trajectory to Earth in order to blow it up. Uh, Now, NASA, because uh, the world is reality TV these days, has announced their plan for a similar scenario. The system is known as DART as Double Asteroid Redirection Test. The plan would be to send a spacecraft onto a binary asteroid system, that's a a, a system with two asteroids, called Didymos. Didymos A is about half a mile wide, Uh, B is about 150 metres wide. B is projected to fly close to the Earth in October 2022 and again in, in 2024, and impact could create significant global effects. Uh, DART, if all went to plan, would fly to Didymos and launch itself at B using a targeting system. The craft would hit the asteroid at around 3.7 miles a second, and it's hoped that the impact would change the speed of the asteroid, altering the trajectory away from Earth. Um, Andy Cheng, who is co-leading the DART investigation at the John Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory, said, DART is a, is a critical step in demonstrating we can protect our planet from a future asteroid impact. Since we don't know that much about their internal structure or composition, we need to perform this experiment on a real asteroid. With DART, we can show how to protect Earth from an asteroid strike with a kinetic impactor by knocking the hazardous object into a different flight path that would not threaten the planet. Isn't that amazing that they could actually send something to an asteroid that's flying through space, it could land on on the asteroid and then like launch itself at the other asteroid and knock that off its trajectory that could be bound for Earth. Unbelievable. Um, Amazing. I just hope that they can, you know, do it, and that the government doesn't ruin everything by having some sort of petty squabble that could end up in us smashing ourselves to pieces even before an asteroid gets here. Anyway, there you go, folks. When you think about all of this, it makes you realise, or perhaps remember that despite all of our petty troubles on Earth, it could all be wiped away by an unexpected collision with an asteroid. Scientists can't always see them coming, you see. Sometimes they just sort of come in so fast and maybe if, if they come sort of, if, they, if we're blinded by the sun or something, we can't see them, I don't know. But for me, this makes me think that when you realise that an asteroid could just wipe out life on Earth at any time, uh, it makes me think that I should just live every day and stop sometimes to just enjoy what I have and be grateful. Because, you know, sometimes I'm stressed out. Sometimes I'm not entirely happy with everything and I'm worried and I'm, and all these sorts of things and I'm maybe unhappy for whatever reason. But when you think that it could all just be switched off like that in an instant, it does make you think, well, hold on. You've got to stop sometimes and just appreciate everything around you and appreciate what you have while it lasts in this ridiculous universe where basically it's just rocks flying around through space and stuff crashing into each other and big explosions and just physics happening on a huge scale. We're just tiny little creatures just balanced on the edge of a knife, really, when you think about it. So after listening to this, I hope that you do take a moment 
to just think about all the good things in your life. Even if you're not happy these days for whatever reason, just think about any good thing that you have and think about how grateful you are for it. Perhaps you can call a friend or someone you care about and tell, and, and just tell them how you feel about them and say thank you for something. It might just be a good way to appreciate all of this while it lasts. Thank you for listening to my podcast, ladies and gents. I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon, um, as long as we don't get wiped out by an asteroid in the meantime, but hopefully we won't and the podcast will continue. Okay, thanks for listening. Speak to you again soon, but for now, goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact... You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.